Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may come in. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. Yeah, wow. Kim tells me she could use a few more altos up here. We sing that song, but do we ever really think about the words? Who yielded his life an atonement for sin. Theories abound on atonement in the Bible. And some would argue that the idea, the concept of atonement is one of the key doctrines that we find in Scripture. From beginning to end, The narrative that we have in Scripture is one of God bringing His people back into a right relationship with Him. Bringing us back, which means that somewhere along the line, we strayed. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open them to the first chapter of John. Yes, we're still in the first chapter of John. There's so much good stuff in this first chapter. We're introduced to many different themes in this first chapter of John. And one of those themes is the theme of atonement. But it comes to us through images that demand that we do a little work and kind of find the pieces of the puzzle to put them together so that we can understand what John is trying to communicate to us. John the baptizer, a colorful figure by any measure, doesn't pull many punches with the religious leaders of the day. We do not read about the baptism of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We have to go to the other Gospels for that. Isn't it wonderful that we have four portraits of Jesus given to us in Scripture? 
It's an interesting exchange that goes between John and Jesus when Jesus comes to be baptized. John doesn't want to do it. Jesus says, permit it to be so. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, remember, these guys are cousins. How well they know each other, we'll never fully understand this side of eternity. But they're cousins. And when Jesus emerges from the water, we read in the text that the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and rested upon Him. And the voice of God is heard. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then we read, not in the Gospel of John, but in the other Gospels, that at this point, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. For how many days? For 40 days. And then, Satan came to test him. In John's Gospel, the baptizer introduces us to Jesus. But we miss this part if we only had this Gospel. And so, we looked last week at John the baptizer denying that he was the Christ, denying that he was Elijah, denying that he was the prophet, He wanted to focus on Christ, who was greater than he, because he who comes after him was before him. And we talked about how we need to be careful not to allow ourselves or institutions to blind people to the reality of Jesus. And then in this first chapter, in verse 29, it says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. The next day after his encounter with those who asked him who he was. So the baptism of Jesus had to have happened at least a month and a half prior to this point. Jesus has come back from the desert. He is beginning His earthly ministry. And that's where our text is today. Chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, 
is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. As I think about these verses, and in Scripture, there are many different titles for Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the great I am. He is the alpha and the omega, the prince of peace. We could go on and on and on looking at the various descriptions of the names given to Jesus. But this is the first time we get this name. When John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know how many times that phrase, the Lamb of God, is used in Scripture? Three times. Only three. Twice in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Once in the book of Revelation. Some have questioned how John could have come up with this title. What does it mean? What did he think it meant when he said it? I think, at this point, the same person who told him that the one that he baptized and saw the Spirit of God descend upon him who would baptize with the Holy Spirit was the same one who told him, this is the Lamb of God. But what does that mean? What images does that conjure up in the the life of, of those who heard the baptizer make that announcement? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? What in the world are you talking about? I understand the Day of Atonement. I understand that once a year, the high priest has to offer up a sacrifice for himself. Because he himself is dirty. And then once he has done that, then then the high priest is able to offer up a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel. I understand once a year that I am cleansed in the sight of God. I understand that we have to provide a sacrifice for our sins. The Lamb of God? Why does God need to offer a sacrifice? I'm the one who sins. Why does God have to come up with a a lamb, a sacrifice, to take away the sin of the world? That's That's a radical thought. And it takes, uh, it, it takes a little sleuthing to, to fully unpack 
what that phrase means. And once we begin to understand what that phrase means, it raises a whole host of other questions as we start talking about atonement. As I look at Scripture, and I think about the life of Jesus, I'm drawn to the garden where Jesus is praying. He knows He's about to be arrested. He knows that the cross is His destiny. And He is in anguish. And He prays, Father, if there is any other way, Let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Thy will be done. If you have your elements, I would invite you to break them out. If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Hours earlier, he was with his disciples in the upper room. One last opportunity to speak with them face to face. To prepare them for what was to come. And he gave them a sacrament using items that would have been very common at every table, but now set apart for a very uncommon purpose. He took bread. And he broke it. He offered it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body given for you. Heavenly Father, do we understand what it means for the body of Christ broken, given for us? At some level, Lord, we know the grace the cross affords we who believe. Help us, Lord, as we partake in these elements to search our own hearts and minds, confessing our sins, receiving the full measure of grace this table affords we who believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of our Lord given for you and me, take and eat, all of you. In a similar manner, he took the cup. He took the cup. And he said, 
this cup. is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Hours later, praying in agony, he would plead, Father, if there is any other way, Let this cup pass, but not my will, thy will be done. Heavenly Father, will we ever comprehend the cost, this side of eternity, for you to bring us into a right relationship with you, atonement. This cup is service, it is sacrifice, it is love in action. For us it is salvation. As we partake of this cup, Lord, strengthen us for the journey as we walk side by side in the footsteps of the one we call Lord and Savior that others might come to know the depths of your love for this world you created. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A cup of salvation poured out for you and me. Drink, all of you. Let this cup pass from me. What cup might that be? What might have been going through the mind of Jesus at this point? I cannot help but think that he was thinking about Abraham. Abraham was asked to do something that many people today find completely objectionable, and some have even questioned the reality of whether or not it ever happened. Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, we don't know anything beyond that. We... we, We know that in the Bible there are sacrifices and offerings in abundance for various transgressions, as well as sacrifices of praise and celebration. All we're told is that God told Abraham to go sacrifice his son, and he does it. He takes Isaac, he takes the fire, he takes the wood, and he leads Isaac up to the mountain. And Isaac asks the question, Dad, we have fire and we have, we have wood. Where's the sacrifice? 
God will provide. God will provide. In the book of Hebrews, we read that that Abraham, in his faith, had complete faith and trust that God would be able to raise even the dead. Abraham was offering a sacrifice of obedience. And at the eleventh hour, with knife poised in his hand, about to offer his son as a sacrifice. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. How can... you got to be kidding me. It doesn't set well with our modern sensibilities. But back in the day of Abraham, it would have unfortunately been a very common experience in the pagan world to offer up a child. Abraham, convinced that God could resurrect his son, prepares to execute a sacrifice of obedience. At the eleventh hour, the angel stays his hand. And at that point, child sacrifice ends for God's people. And they hear the rustling of a ram caught in the thicket. And there is a substitute that takes place. Isaac is freed. And the lamb is substituted on that offering of obedience. And I see Jesus in the garden. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. imploring His Heavenly Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from Me. But not My will, but Thy will be done. Is there to be no substitute for Me? Like there was a substitute for Isaac. And the Father says, My son... You are the substitute. If there were any other way, and God said, nope, I want you to do this because I'm God and you're not, that would make God out to be a monster. But if, in fact, there was no other way to atone for the sins of humanity, then it is the ultimate act of love. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A substitution for the guilty party. One of the many theories of atonement that we find in theological circles, bits and pieces of which can be unpacked in Scripture, all of them dependent upon the cross. 
But that's only one piece of the puzzle. The other piece that comes to mind is the blood of the Lamb that was present in Egypt before God delivered Egypt, uh, delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. You'll remember the ten plagues. But it was the tenth plague that finally broke Pharaoh's spirit. To this day, Jewish families celebrate Passover. I still remember, uh, and it was years in, in, into being a Christian, where I, where I, because I knew about Passover. That's that's big in the Jewish communities. What does Passover mean? Well, it celebrates or commemorates when the angel of death passed over the houses of Israel during that tenth plague. And I remember thinking to myself, really? It's that simple? You think that's simple? Far from it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an unblemished lamb. I want you to properly sacrifice that lamb. You break no bones. And you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the, on the posts and the lentils on the outside of your house. And when the angel of death passes over Egypt to claim the firstborn in each household, that blood will save your families from death. And the next morning, after the angel of death had visited Egypt, Pharaoh drove them out of the land. And God, through Moses, delivered Israel from slavery. Physical slavery is very, very different than spiritual slavery. We live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, and we celebrate our freedoms when in fact there are many people in the United States, dare I say even in the sanctuary today, who remain slaves to sin. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world 
Lord, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. This is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We take the blood of the Lamb and we place it on the, on the, on the posts and the lentils of our hearts. And the angel of death passes over us. And we are delivered from the slavery to sin. He yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. Theories of atonement. There are governmental theories. There are ransom theories. There are satisfaction theories. There are penal substitution theories. There's the Christus Victor theory. What do they have in common? The cross. And more than that, I would suggest that it is God's plan that we see throughout Scripture that is restoring us to a right relationship with Him. One that involves reconciliation, forgiveness, healing, restoration, All words that point to God's love because He so loved the world that He gave us His Lamb to take away our sin. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When I was going through my ordination process, a uh, minister pulled me aside and said, you know, if you really want uh, uh, to be a Presbyterian, uh, then you're going to kind of want to stay away from this whole blood language. <laughs> we rewrite theology to suit our own sensibilities. And we do it at our own expense. We cannot get away from the cross. We cannot get away from the Lamb of God. But the questions that it raises, why? What's happening? A debt is paid to whom? Which raises even more and more questions. If God is all-powerful, why does there even need to be 
a sacrifice of atonement. Come back next week and I'll tell you. (laughs) Come back next week.